Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Rishi Sunak delivered the 2021 budget today, where he set out a moral mission to shrink the size of the British state, but also pledged big increases in spending. Today's budget delivers a stronger economy for the British people, stronger growth with the UK recovering faster than our major competitors, stronger public finances with our debt under control, stronger employment with fewer people out of work and more people in work. Welcome to this budget special episode of Payne's Politics, your insider guide to what's going on in Westminster from the Financial Times with me, Sebastian Payne. In this budget special episode, we'll be looking into all the tax and spending announcements, the surprise in universal credit and the increase in the foreign aid budget some point in the future. For this little episode, I'm delighted to be joined by our political editor, George Parker, and economics editor, Chris Giles. So, George, I'll begin with you. We're both in the House of Commons today. How did you find the budget and how well was it received? Inevitably, Seb, it was very well received by Conservative MPs because it seemed to be all things for all people. For those people who wanted more public spending, they got that in fairly large amounts. Chancellor announcing a 3% real terms increase in departmental budgets over the next three years. At the same time, there was this thing, as you mentioned in the intro there, this sort of peroration by the Chancellor, where he reasserted his conservative beliefs that it was a moral mission to control the inexorable rise of the state and to talk about tax cuts before the next election. Um, so there was a combination of more spending, a bit of fiscal discipline, and the tantalising prospect further down the line of tax cuts. So what's not to like? Well, Chris Strauss, this was an interesting budget for Rishi Sunak since it was really his first one without the spectre of the coronavirus pandemic. And he said quite early on that the pandemic isn't over and there is more to come. But this is setting out the economy for a post-COVID world. How did you see it? Well, what really happened in this budget was that it was taxing, spending and saving. So he got a massive windfall of about £35 billion a year from the independent fiscal watchdog who said basically the economy is doing better and higher inflation will lead to higher taxes. You know, Rishi Sunak always goes on, higher inflation is really bad, it leads to more debt interest payments, but far outweighing that is the higher tax revenues that the OVR expects to come from higher inflation. £36 billion of additional revenue on top of £36 billion roughly of higher taxes the Chancellor's announced this year gives a lot of money to splash around and he spent half of it roughly and has saved half of it. So meeting his fiscal rules and saying he can be fiscally prudent while also spending a lot more than people expected. Well, George, let's begin with the big surprise announcements. The first one was scaling back a cut in the universal credits benefit system, that there's been this £20 week in uplift that was introduced at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, which has come to an end this month, and that's cost the Treasury about £6 billion a year, and Rishi Sunak and many other Conservatives have been very criticised for this thing. It's going to hurt the poorest in society, and he made a change to the taper rates which is something that I think the Conservative MP Ian Duncan-Smith, who set up universal credit, 
has been a big fan of. And this was really the rabbit out of the hat that they cut the taper rate at a much higher level than was expected. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's in response to a cross-party campaign against this removal of the temporary uplift in universal credit, which was giving families around £20 a week throughout the COVID crisis. That ended this month. And a lot of people were campaigning for it to be restored in full. And what the Chancellor's done is he's restored some of it. So he's given back about £2 billion a year, compared with the £6 billion a year he's just taken away. That will be of great help to people who are in work, who face losing their universal credit at quite high rates when, as their earnings increase. It doesn't, however, it's important to point out, do much or anything at all for people who are on universal credit who aren't working. So he's restored some of the cut, but not all of it. And he's allowed, he's allowed him to say to Tory MPs, well, look, we're helping people who are working. But that doesn't do much to help people who aren't. And the second thing, George, that he introduced that was not expected was an announcement of getting the UK's overseas aid budget back to 0.7%. That was cut to 0.5% quite controversially last year. And many Conservatives, particularly in the centre of the party, were quite unhappy. And the Chancellor announced that it would go eventually go back to 07 when his new fiscal rules are met. Yes, and he says those new fiscal rules which he set out, where he wants to balance day-to-day spending by the end of the Parliament and have debt falling, he thinks those rules will be met in the last year of the Parliament. And then, therefore, according to the promise he'd already given, that means having to restore the £4 billion or so that he cut from the overseas aid budget. Now, when he announced that in the House of Commons, I can tell you there were quite a few glum faces on the Conservative benches because there are, that's a fairly significant part of the Conservative Party that thinks charity begins at home, and they're not particularly enthusiastic about that that big aid commitment. Now, Chris, let's have a look at the overall fiscal picture here, because the reason that Ms Sunak's able to tax and spend and save, as you said, so much is because the economy seems to be doing better than we expected. And the Office for Budget Responsibility has said growth is going to be higher than expected. Unemployment is going to be low. And of course, Rishi Sunak is taking all the credit, saying it was my wonderful stewardship of the economy that allowed this. Why is that? Is that true? Or why is the economy doing better than maybe we thought it would be at this stage? The economy is doing better in every country than we thought possible in the spring. So all advanced economies have done rather better than they expected. The UK is certainly part of that and maybe has done better than most this year. So, But the Office of Budget Responsibility hasn't really upgraded the economic forecast any more than we had expected. So the key assumption is how much permanent damage is there going to be in real terms of the size of the economy? And it's gone from 3% to 2%, which is pretty much in line with what everyone thought. What's really made the difference here, and I think we've only begun to sort of see this after we've got the documents, is that inflation which is obviously nothing that Rishi Sunak is saying is his doing and what he wanted to happen. Inflation is expected to raise revenues really very significantly. So the OBR is assuming that it's the right sort of inflation, the inflation that brings tax revenues flooding into the exchequer. And so the public finance figures are looking much better than even the growth upgrades we would have thought for that level of growth upgrade. So that's why You've seen both the increase in spending, he's been able to restore the overseas aid budget and improve the public finances such that there's a £25 billion margin of error now in 2024-25 against the current budget balance rule in the forecast. These are forecasts, of course. They might well not happen, but that is what he's been able to do. And it's really thanks to the fact that we're all going to have to pay a lot more for our gas and electricity prices. 
And on the inflation point, Chris, he said that inflation would be 3.1% in September. It's expected to go up to 4%. The OBRs are saying it'll peak at 4.4. In fact, it's going to peak higher than that, almost certainly. So it's, you know, and so long as the inflation increases wages and other, uh, is what I'm going to say, nominal indicators, I know it's a bit of jargon, in the economy, then that brings in tax revenues. Of course, it means that public spending doesn't go as far because you have to, you have to pay people more and you have to buy things which cost more and you have to pay for your energy. So, you know, even though the public spending numbers have gone up a lot, you know, so they're much higher than the totals that were set, which the Chancellor said as recently as he was telling ministers, you can't bid for more money because the envelope is absolutely set in stone. Well, he busted it by 25 to 35 billion every year in the parliament. So clearly not set in stone. But the extraordinary thing, George, as well as that cut in tax to UC, is just how much spending there is within this budget. That The block grant to local government is going up by its highest level in a decade. There's a big lump going to the devolved parliaments across the UK. And this, you know, we're still digging into the details this afternoon, but a lot of it does look like big, serious new money being put into public services. And at one point, Rishi Sunak said the Conservatives are the party of good public services, which is something you'd not normally expect from a Tory chancellor. I think at the end of the budget, he felt the need to reassure Conservative MPs that he was still a Tory, to be honest, because as you say, Seb, he was announcing a whole load of additional spending facilitated by these improved forecasts that Chris was just describing. And so his, his argument seemed to be that the public's priority at the moment is better public services after, frankly, many years of austerity and the need to catch up in some cases after the COVID crisis. But then on the other hand, once we've done that over the next three years, that's the point at which the turning point will be reached. And that's the point where we want to see debt falling as a share of GDP and when I want to start cutting taxes and returning to my natural instincts as a fiscally conservative chancellor. So there were two messages all crunched into one budget speech, which was quite interesting to watch. Yeah, I think uh, if I may just jump in, I think that the last peroration of the speech will look quite odd against the figures. Can I just give you the figures for pre-COVID, the level of spending in the economy was 34.9%. By 2024-25, it's supposed to be after you know, when the pandemic's over, be 36.6%. So up nearly two percentage points. And taxation was, before the pandemic, 32.9%. It will be 36%, the highest uh, since the 1950s. So far from being a low-tax conservative, Rishi Sunak is a very high-tax conservative. He's high-tax for two reasons. One is because he's raised taxes a lot. And secondly, because the way the OBR thinks the economy is going to grow with pretty high inflation means that tax revenues are going to come flooding into the exchequer. And the question, of course, with all this, George, is whether it's ideologically coherent or whether it will appear coherent to Conservative MPs and to voters. Because the things we were just talking about in the press gallery, uh, part of that budget, he sounded like a protege of Gordon Brown, of reeling off all the money going into public services and how great it was going to be for the people's priorities. And then a bit later, he was talking about cutting taxes and the need for smaller state, just like Margaret Thatcher would. So it was quite the neck break turn within one speech. Yes, you're right. And I suppose that partly reflects Seb, the sort of the sort of dual personality in, in the Conservative Party at the moment and the fact that there is a very large constituency in the Conservative Party that wants additional public spending, particularly MPs representing those Midlands and Northern seats that have never previously elected a Conservative MP. And then you've got another constituency, particularly Conservative MPs representing Southern seats who believe in lower taxes. And so in that speech, you had, you had something for both wings of the party. But as Chris says, you know, by the time we get to the point where 
Rishi Sunak's moral mission to start controlling the size of the state kicks in at the end of this parliament, the state will have grown to quite a considerable extent. And when we look forward, Chris, in terms of what things might become tricky within this budget, what is it going to be? Because obviously they did that change to UC to help with the cost of living, but with inflation rising and there's still obviously great fears about what's going to happen to food, fuel um, and food prices without throughout the autumn. Is that one area that could prove difficult or are there other things that we haven't quite looked at yet? I think the cost of living is clearly going to prove difficult because if we get inflation, not of the 4.4% that the OBR is forecasting, but significantly higher, which is now noises coming out of the Bank of England, that it might well be significantly higher than that, then all of these public spending numbers immediately look quite a lot smaller because public services also have to pay for higher prices. So I think cost of living is number one. Number two, I think there is a question over how optimistic the OBR has been in terms of how much inflation is going to help the public finances because quite often inflation, particularly if it's imported from global prices, doesn't always help the public finances. So that is a second issue that's worth considering. And then, George, the final two things I wanted to pick up on the budget. One is this selective business rates relief. And this is something Conservative MPs, high streets and SMEs have been calling for. But the Chancellor essentially have defended business rates. He brings in £25 billion. But they have offered quite a significant cut for retail, which is something that I think many local councils have been wanting. You side away from the far more radical overhaul of business rates that the Labour Party has been calling for. But there are a few sort of headline-grabbing initiatives, including a, a year-long holiday for hospitality, pubs, leisure centres and things like that. Um, and he called it the biggest cut in business rates for 30 years. But nevertheless, it's still not the big reform that lots of retailers have really wanted. Chris, we need to mention, of course, the alcohol duty reform, which was given in excruciating detail throughout the budget, where they went through all sorts of different types of alcohol and essentially... Um, Drinks that have got a much higher content are going to be taxed at a greater level, and those with lower alcohol content will be cheaper. So it's good for rosé and prosecco drinkers, and bad for red wine and port lovers. Yeah, you see, it's probably a little bit more complicated than that because there were loads and loads of different duty rates before. Essentially, it means that uh, you'll pay a tax equal to the amount of alcohol generally, unless you're a small brewer or you buy it from a pub, in which case you have slightly lower rates. And then finally, my last question for both of you, it's obviously far too soon to say this, but do you think this was a good budget in terms of what Rishi Sunak was trying to set out in terms of vision, the public finances, and of course, his standing in that of the Conservative Party? What do you reckon, George? I think this probably will be a popular budget um, in the sense that you know, it's sort of united sort of two strands of Conservative thinking, and I think it appeals for two parts of the country. Um, he's been helped massively, as we've been discussing, by the improved economic forecasts. If they start to deteriorate at some point, then maybe the budget will look different. But for the time being, I think it will go down, you know, as a reasonably successful budget. And Chris, what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down, or keeping your judgment to yourself for now? No, I'm always willing to give a judgment, Seb. Um, I think it will go down pretty well politically, especially in the short term. I think the cost of living issue is going to be very difficult over the winter months. And there are still big questions over whether the amount of money going to public services is going to feel quite as generous in the future as it does today. 
Well, George and Chris, thank you so much for your time on this very busy Wednesday afternoon. That's it for this mini midweek episode of Payne's Politics. We'll be back on Saturday with our full episode where we'll dive into all the budget details. But until then, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And even if you like this one, you can leave us a nice positive review. Payne's Politics was presented by me, Sebastian Payne, and produced by Breen Turner. Until next time, thanks for listening. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.